Welcome to the Denker Capital Podcast, where our highly experienced team of in-depth thinkers and other experts share their insights on a range of investment-related topics. In this podcast, we have conversations about developments in South African and global markets and what these may mean for investors. We analyze specific stocks and sectors and explore general themes relating to the fundamental principles that underpin sound investment decisions in an ever-changing world. It's the 27th of March, 2023, and in today's episode, Nigel Barnes chats to Koki Kweman and Ben Kweman on the current U.S. banking crisis. They talk about what happened earlier this month, why it happened, and how far the effects are being felt. Koki manages the Denko Global Financial Fund, and Ben is an equity analyst on the Global Financials team. So they'll also cover how the fund has been affected in the last two weeks and what we expect going forward. I'm joined this morning um, by the Coimans. Sounds like a title of a new Netflix series, actually, that one. Um, but uh, Ben is here with me in uh, in the office, um, and Koki uh, is in Amsterdam in, nor- in Northern Europe, um, joining us as part of his, his actual annual leave. So, Koki, thanks for taking a bit of time out to, to speak to everyone. In terms of the content today, what um, Ben, maybe we could start with you. I really want to get a handle on you know, what's been happening in the financial sector over the last couple of weeks? Um, you know, there's been a huge amount of news flow, um, certainly around some of these banks in America and, uh, you know, some market pressure. Um, so maybe we could just start there. Just turn the clock back a week or two and just just give us, you know, what's happened and, and why. Thanks, Nigel. Um, I think the important starting point is that these banks at end of Q4 results were regarded as being well-capitalized, healthy, they were quite profitable. What's now happened since then is there was a specific bank, Silicon Valley Bank, which was concentrated in Silicon Valley. So it led to a lot of fintechs, which which were all not profitable generally, and they'd been there to been a beneficiary of the low interest rate environment. So they've been taking risks that otherwise wouldn't have. And due to almost due to being hidden by this interest rate environment, the bank was growing incredibly quickly and no one had picked, most people hadn't picked up on the risks of the bank. Sure. Everyone was quite happy with this. While there room now we start coming out that the Fed had picked on some picked up on potential problems, but the market in general hadn't picked up on these problems. But the banks until this point have been focusing on a solvency ratio, which means your ability to survive a longer period of stress. And capital ratios have generally been focused on that. And all the banks screen quite well on this. But what happened is as Silicon, with in high interest rates, as Silicon Valley Bank's customers, um, which I've mentioned, non-profitable tech startups, as they came under stress now with these higher rates, they started to withdraw quite quickly from the Silicon Valley-based deposit base. Okay. So, yeah, so that caused quite a run on the bank, and this money started to go out. And as rumors started circulating on Twitter that there were potential problems there, one thing led to another, and it just kept on increasing. Okay. Then what made the problem also worse is the fact that they had a really high uninsured deposit base, 91%, which means that the clients were scared that if the bank goes under, they're not insured for it, and they will lose everything. So this money quickly started leaving out this leaving their system. But also, it's normally not a problem, but the banks have available for sale and held to maturity bond portfolios. These, as said, it's held to maturity. So they don't plan on selling it. But as Silicon Valley Bank had this liquidity problem, which is short-term cash required, they had to start selling this at a loss. And then as they sold that, 
they need they to raise raise capital again they had to do a share issue and as they're about to do that the fed stepped in and took them into supervision okay. so that was the end of silicon valley bank as a listed company unfortunately all these issues made the market worried about which other banks could have similar problems. Okay. The first bank in the headlines was um, Signature Bank. What made Signature Bank also more unique is they had crypto, exp- well, they didn't have crypto exposure, but they facilitated crypto transactions on their Signet platform, and they took crypto deposits, which was stable coins. So it was theoretically no real crypto exposure in their lending, but what made them worse in this regard is Silvergate had just fallen over a week prior. Unrelated circumstances to Silicon Valley Bank, except that crypto had also probably been fueled by the lower interest rates. But Silvergate didn't make as much news because they managed to give all their clients back their deposits. So there was no loss for the general consumer. It's just the bank also closed down. So the market was quite skeptical about crypto. Then Signature Bank also had... So the next market then focused on which banks was high uninsured portion, uh, was quite concentrated, and potentially been lending quite quickly into this environment, so maybe taking undue risks. Okay. So yeah, Signature Bank, unfortunately, fell in that category. On Wednesday, when Silicon Valley went down, they still gave an update, which showed they were quite well positioned. They still actually had deposit inflows in their main business. But with the fear that came through over the next two days, they lost 40 billion worth of deposits, which they then also couldn't withstand. And over the weekend, they also got closed down. Okay. Um, on Monday, we then woke up and then obviously the market wrote the next bank and the next bank in line was First Republic, uh, which is now the current name, which most of the news has been going on about. They are nowhere near as a race. I mean, Silic- Silicon Valley and Signature both had 90% uninsured and very concentrated. First Republic was a lot less concentrated, been a much more established bank, been spun out of Bank of America mm-hmm. and had only an insured deposit base of 73%, but still it was next in the cross lines. So there was quite a big withdrawal um, of their deposits as well. But between the Fed opening up a discount window, the large banks stepping in and giving them 30 billion worth of the cash lines to use, for the moment, it seems the situation has stabilized, but the market is still fearful of how this potentially ends and which other banks are potentially affected. Yeah, and that's almost where we stand now in the US, is that a lot of the deposit flows which have been sitting in these mid-cap and small caps, the market is worried it's been going to the big banks. So JP Morgan, Bank of America, City have been getting huge inflows of deposits from these smaller banks. And, and we've got the Fed standing behind them now, but until we have certainty on where their deposit base stands and what their current deposit levels are, I think the market might be a bit worried. So, yeah, the big number we'll see is on the Q1 results. Then we'll get a proper standoff on where the banks stand. The Fed gave a facility for them to stand behind. In the first week, there was $160 billion worth of usage that banks tapped. First Republic was $110 billion of that. So that's a huge portion. The week on week now, the numbers released now on Thursday, was that facilities actually stood still. So it seems as if it's stabilized and no new banks have had to tap that facility. Then, as happens with every the European banks and the rest of the emerging market banks on a totally different footing and their balance sheets are structured very differently, which we won't go into detail now. But they obviously there's the one big bank in Europe, Credit Suisse, Mm -hmm. which has been having problems since 2015. So this is nothing new. Um, as 
listeners will know, have been following the bank. They've been in quite a few scandals and losses okay. recently. Okay. And yes, so that spilled into them, which unfortunately Credit Suisse as a small, as a big bank, but in a very small country of Switzerland, as international depositors also started fearing the worst, they started withdrawing a lot of their deposit base from Credit Suisse. And you know, we came to the problem that they then had to be taken up by UBS due to this huge deposit withdrawal. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I think that's the big summary of where okay. we are now. Yeah, so just to summarize, we got this this sort of group of, of, let's call them smaller niche banks in America, regionally based, specific client base in the tech sector, um, a lot of the deposits uninsured, and you know, basically concerns um, over that over that segment, um, and that's caused the, the the background or the foundation to this issue. You talk about uh, the sort of larger bank components and the, you know the bigger sort of blue chip names um, in the US as, as part of this process. Ben, do you think that they are at risk here? No. So I mean. As I said, the previous crisis were all caused by a solvent, which is much longer. So this is a very much liquidity crisis, yeah. which also due to capital constraints and requirements, they actually are regulated differently. So they have to be much more strict on their liquidity. So they, before this already, they're in a much stronger liquidity position. Okay. And then with the fact that they are actually getting big inflows from deposits from the smaller banks, there is zero to no risk of them from that liquidity crisis. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. I want to come back to the to the Credit Suisse situation perhaps a little later. Um, Koki, maybe just just turn to you now. Um, thank you, Ben, for that for that background. I mean, the fact is we might see this in America continue on a little bit, but in in terms of the individual banks that we've or Ben has been talking about, which were held within the the, the global financial portfolio, Koki, which did you hold? Um, which which didn't didn't you hold and and can you just give us a bit of background there which clearly you know is focused on the impact on the portfolio? Yeah, Nigel, thanks. Um, we held Signature Bank. It was always one of the uh, very entrepreneurial banks, uh, fast growing. We really liked the business model in which they were doing things. Um, and just with hindsight, you say oh, they were very niche. But we actually they understood their niche, and we and uh, they were pioneers. Um, but in in essence, once trust in the system uh, went, specifically the deposits, as triggered by uh, Silicon Valley Bank, then you know depositors just looked at at their deposits with Signature and said, you know, I'm pulling as well. So we we were with Signature Bank, and we. Uh, not sure if one is going to get anything back. The bank is being dismembered, so to speak, and, and so on, uh, sold off. Uh, but that was at a one and a half percent position. Uh, the other positions were on Key Corp, US Bank, or um, JP Morgan City, which are all very big banks and generally been benefiting with the exception of Key Corp. Uh, but the other three, uh, City, JP Morgan, US Banker were part of the rescue package um, that helped to stabilize the system. Kiko was a bit uh, special, uh, also more regional. We like it very much. Very, very good bank, very good operating metrics. Um, and it's 22nd largest bank in the US when you go down to 4,000 banks. So Kiko um, took a bit of pressure 
Um, but it's coming back strongly. And also the CEO has been stating that they are receiving uh, deposits. So in the US, we, we've, it's really sad about Signature Bank. Also, we, we really thought it were a very good bank uh, and they were swept away by the, by the tide. Yeah, sure. Um, and in terms of the portfolio, Koki, over the last couple of weeks, have you been making any changes to the US um, component within the portfolio? Yes. So we uh, over the, the last few months and almost year, the property and casualty component, the property and casualty insurers or the PNC insurers have done exceptionally well as they benefited from the tailwinds. Uh, we're starting to get expensive, so we reduced those a bit and uh, increased our weighting in um, U.S. Banco and Key. Both of them had fallen more than 30%. It's totally ridiculous uh, where the share prices have gone to. So it gave us a very good opportunity to add to those. Uh, so we switched from the insurers that were expensive into the banks that we like that had fallen a lot. Yeah, okay, okay. Great, thank you. Ben, coming back to you now, let's just unpack this sort of European banking um, situation and, and just give us a bit more background to Credit Suisse because from my understanding, I mean, the Credit, Credit Suisse story is a much longer story. I mean, you talk about going back to 2015. This is a, an organization which has been, you know, struggling for want of a better term for a long period of time. So just give us a bit of background to that and you know, why it's in the spotlight now and, you know, all, yeah. of, all of that. So, um, yeah, it's been struggling since 2015, as you've mentioned, and it actually in the last Eight years, I think five of those years have been losses. So it doesn't just mean it's been really struggling. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the original when we were there, we were actually in London at the Invest Day in 2015. And the then CEO wanted to make, he decided he wanted, I think it was the original cause, he wanted to decentralize Credit Suisse a lot more and give each division a lot more autonomy. Yeah. And obviously that works. If it's the bank's running quite well. Each person has their own autonomy to do what they want. Unfortunately, in this case, it looks like each division weren't working well with the rest of the bank, and obviously the leaders weren't quite up to it. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of mistakes, so especially with the, I think it's also a big mention, is that they, they actually, Credit Suisse has made it four large parts. It's got its asset management division, which actually does quite well. It's got its wealth management division, which also does quite well. And then it's got its Swiss private bank, which helps Swiss private bankers, so it does well. But a lot of the problems have come from its investment banking division. Okay. The problem with investment banking is when you get things wrong, it can go horribly wrong. Sure. So they were got quite a few bad clients which they made huge losses on. And unfortunately, a good investment which they tried to be is all about scale. So as you start losing scale and start making losses, it's the investment bank started running at a huge loss, okay. which... Unfortunately, it does mean, in general, investment banking is a lot more risk, but normally you try and get the reward out of it. They had the risk and they weren't getting any reward, which is also why Deutsche Bank is now the next in line. Different bank has, but has been running quite profitably, been running a lot smoother, but just as an investment bank, it will automatically carry more risk. Um, so yeah, so Credit Suisse had those problems and then due to a lot of these losses, they were always capitally a lot more constrained. They, I think they had three or four CEOs in the last period. As any business, when you're having problems, your good your staff starts leaving. Sure. So the guy who's in charge of UBS's wealth management now came from Credit Suisse. He left in 2019. So they struggled to retain talent. So I think one thing just led to another. Yeah. And we got to the situation we are today. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever held Credit Suisse in a portfolio? 
I think we've held it maybe for a month. Sometimes when it got, not for the last three years, I don't think. Okay. But I think we actually done quite well out of it once when it got to ridiculously cheap levels at that point for where we thought it was. Then it rebounded quite strongly. We sold. Okay. So yeah, never for a long period and never a big position. Okay. So it just, it was a short, yeah, profit. Okay. I mean, which actually worked out for, but yeah. yes. And it just didn't meet the criteria it just in terms of quality. For a long term investment, okay. yeah. And, um, UBS? So UBS, we've held on and off for a long time. It's actually also done quite well for us. It's a, been a great bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sold it towards the end of last year. Um, nothing specifically with regards to UBS. It's just as a wealth manager and asset manager, a large portion, it's quite exposed to the market and it had done really well. And on a valuation metric, we saw better risk reward elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So at this point, after taking over Credit Suisse, it becomes huge, which is great for its scale, which is very important for its business lines. Sure. But with all the particulars and yeah, things which are going to run through the business now is taking over such a big bank with no planning, almost forced on them. Yeah. It's an interesting investment, but we, yeah, I just I wouldn't want to take that risk at this point when there's opportunity elsewhere yeah. as well. Yeah. So you're going to keep an eye on things and see how it plays out over the course of the next few months before you yeah, definitely. make a decision. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that seems fair. Um, and you touched on Deutsche Bank there. Do you think there's any significant issues with Deutsche or other European banks that we might see in the course of the next week or two? Um, so just the other European banks first, I think what makes Europe, firstly, they've got different capital requirements, which helps a lot. And they've, so they've come into this from a totally different position. But also US, as Cookie mentioned, has 4,000 banks. So there's a lot of competition where the your European countries only have like two or three huge banks and the rest don't really. So your competition for deposits is a lot less. And this has been caused by deposit runs. So that automatically makes them lot less risky for the current situation so and they've all generally got excess capital and are quite liquid so we're not particularly worried about any of the specific you always have an italian bank very small which could but yeah nothing we lose sleep over deutsche bank as an investment bank is always potentially at risk due to the fact that you've always you've got an investment bank with positions but the last three years hasn't shown any particular stress they've been profitable they've done the right things their liquidity is a lot stronger than Credit Suisse's. They've also, as Credit Suisse, a lot of international clients. Where Deutsche Bank is a lot more German focused as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we don't. I mean, you, a problem with the liquidity crisis is things can change overnight, and there could sure. be a risk. But at this point, and with everything we've seen, I don't see any reason to fear Deutsche Bank is next in line. No, yeah. no. Okay. All right. Thank you, Ben. Koki, to, to finish off, coming coming back to you. Um, Obviously, you you know you, you have the responsibility that the buck stops with you in terms of the the Denka um, Global Financial Fund, and um, you know for some time now we've been talking about talking to investors about the fact that you know with in a rising interest rate environment there's a, a margin expansion which is is generally good for you know core components of the financial sector. And clearly, Koggy, now we've in the last couple of weeks we've seen share price falls, and and I'm sure that's you know attractive to you in terms of some of those valuations. So, how do you see things sort of going forward? What's your view? Give us give us a bit of background there to, to finish off. No, thanks, Lytle. So, the rising interest rate environment was very good for banks, and it gave the extra icing on on the top. Uh, but very important that also because they came from such very low interest rates. In Europe and Switzerland, interest rates were negative. 
So coming from negative to zero to going back to, let's say, three, four, and made a huge difference. That is most probably over, and we'll see interest rates going back, but not to where they were. So the bank status quo, where they will be in 23, 24, compared to, let's say, 2019, 2018, will still be a lot better. And you can see that in the returns on capital that they are, are delivering. The rest of banks have been focusing a lot on cost cutting during this year. So they're actually very sound and very solid now. And actually with all the volatility, the prices have come back down to levels where they are just so attractive as they were in 2008 after COVID, uh, after the Russian invasion. And in fact, we've had in the last five years, when you think about it, (laughs) we've had three severe uh, incidents in February, March, where the market tanked and banks tanked. And each time we thought that it's a severe event, COVID, global economy being shut down, uh, the Russian invasion, you know, significantly higher oil, food prices, war. And each time the banks from those low valuation levels, despite the risky environment ahead, still bounce back. And we think this time it's going to be the same. The banks and insurers we invested in screen very attractive and uh, the market has become too negative uh, on on the prospect. So if it stabilizes and we think it should, then you'll see a fairly strong pullback as we saw in the past. But there are still risks. I mean, there's a lot of commercial real estate that's potentially still underwater. Um, uh, and yeah, a lot of work has been done also by us on, on which banks have, have commercial real estate exposure. None of them have very big exposures. Uh, obviously, it's a problem that's been with us now since COVID. And then there are a lot of emerging markets uh, that are sitting with very high debt levels, uh, with higher interest rates, are going to battle to pay. We've already seen that in Ghana. We saw that in Zambia. We saw that in Egypt. So there's a lot of risks out there. And then potentially, you know, private equity firms, hedge funds. Uh, so all of those could still be shown up, but, but none of them should be big enough at this stage to uh, really cause strain in, in the banking system at large, except when there's, you can always have one bank who has a big exposure to, uh, to a hedge fund or so that just causes uh, you know, problems. But I, I, you know, we can't see anything on the horizon at the moment. So we think it should stabilize. Um, but it, it will be um, a bit worrying for the next two or three weeks, and then I think you'll have clarity. But yeah, your best investments are made in times of stress. So it depends on investors' risk appetite. Yeah, if you've got an appetite for risk, you should be investing now. If you haven't, then you should wait a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I remember Cocky when we talked through the pandemic. You know, what was the what was the saying? It never wastes a good crisis. Absolutely. Yeah. So your message to investors would be if you've got a, a risk appetite, then add to your position um, because valuations look good at the moment. If, if, if you're, you're more concerned about risks, just sit tight for the moment and, and see how this plays out. Um, would that be your message to investors? Yeah. 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 We're certainly using the cash that we did have in the, in the portfolio. We've, started, we've been starting to invest uh, specifically in the US banks because they fell the most. And they look the most attractive. But even in Europe now, again, things like ING and so all starting to look really attractive again. So we're using our cash now. Okay, I think we might have uh, lost a bit of a bit of cocky there up in in Amsterdam. But um, so Ben, let me come back to you to, to finish off. I mean, would you concur with 
with Cookie's comments there in terms of your message to investors? Yes, definitely. I mean, he's mentioned the US banks and we'd actually been taking out some of our European exposure to the Europe. I mean, some of our European exposure to the US okay. before as it's unwound because it's first the US. Now the European banks are also coming back quite strongly with less risk in sure. most regards. So we sure. haven't yet started reallocating to Europe, but it's definitely a potential thought process. And yeah, yeah. but there's definitely, we're quite happy with the upside at this point. Okay. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, We'll say thanks to Koki, although I'm not sure you can hear me now. We might have lost the link. But uh, Ben, thanks to you for for, for joining us this morning. Um, I think this is, you know, it's it's, it's a fast-moving situation. Um, and uh, and I know that you've, you know, have a lot of focus on these banking organizations at the moment around the world. Um, so if things do change markedly in the next week or two, we'll do another um, quick podcast to just to update people. But thank you for the background to what's been going on and, and for giving us that insight. Yeah, okay. thanks, Nigel. Thanks. Cheers, Ben. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you found it interesting. If you would like to join us again, please subscribe for more investment insights. To find out more about our team and the funds we offer, please visit our website at denkercapital.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Denker Capital. This podcast does not take the circumstances of a particular person or entity into account and is not advice in relation to an investment. Please do not rely on any information without appropriate advice from an independent financial advisor. The value of investments may go down as well as up, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. Denka Capital is an authorized financial services provider in South Africa. Please visit denkercapital.com forward slash disclaimers for the full disclaimer relating to the global fund mentioned in this episode.